When longtime Texas Monthly editor Gregory Curtis first laid eyes on the woman who would become his wife, that was it, love at first sight. Over the course of their marriage, they traveled to Paris several times. With the sixth trip to the City of Light, Tracy felt like she had conquered this place, like she knew it and loved it fully. There was no need to go again. That trip was her final trip, it turns out. She had already beaten lung cancer, but pancreatic cancer finally took her life. At that time, Tracy and Gregory had been married for 35 years. In his profound grief, Gregory Curtis made the decision to travel to Paris, the city that had meant so much to both of them, by himself. It seemed a way to hold on to Tracy, to her memory, to retrace their steps, to visit the places they had seen together. But the trips for Gregory turned into something else. Even while he searched for whispers and echoes of Tracy there, what he really found was himself. This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. I talked to Gregory Curtis from his home in Austin about his memoir, Paris Without Her. This is a memoir about a lot of different things, but perhaps first and foremost, it's about your wife, Tracy. Can you tell us about Tracy? You're, you're right. It is about Tracy. Uh, uh, not entirely, but but uh, a lot. And uh, as I talk about in the book, I, uh, I it was love at first sight. Uh, I opened the book with the very, very first time that I saw her. Uh, and so there was that, that was a very strong connection from the very beginning. But uh, she had uh, wonderful qualities. She was very uh, radiant. Um, people, uh, she had a very gracious way with people uh, and uh, also especially with children. Uh, she, uh, she was a wonderful mother uh, to her own uh, four children, but with any child, uh, she uh, gravitated toward them and the children uh, uh, loved her and, and trusted her uh, immediately. And she had uh, the most beautiful visual sense, uh, everything from, from high art to uh, interior decoration to clothes, e even just to how uh, oh, her daughters should wear their hair or something. Uh, it, she had an eye, never, she had a, uh, an eye that was absolutely accurate and, and um, uh, she could look at a room and just move some of the furniture around a little bit and transform it. Uh, it was as if she did magic. Um, <laughs> You write about. I can go on. <laughs> well, well, the book it really is just such a beautiful tribute to her, uh, all of these things that you've just said, and so many other things. But you write about this connection that you and Tracy had in life of having almost telepathic powers. Like all it took was a look, and the two of you knew what the other was thinking, or sometimes each of you was looking at the same person or the same thing and assessing it and could look at each other and know you were thinking exactly the same thing. Um, it just really yeah. speaks to this incredible bond uh, that the two of you had that that's so rare. 
Uh, that's uh, really true. Thank you. Um, yes, I, I, I know it several times in the book, and obviously in, in real life it was more common even than that. Uh, it took, we just knew. Uh, we could look across the, a room, and if our eyes met, we just knew what the other was thinking. Uh, and I, uh, I tell in the book, I tell of an incident where we had gone to Dallas for a, a welcoming party, and we were there uh, five minutes, maybe ten minutes at the most. And I looked at Tracy across the room, and she looked at me. And I walked over to her and I said, let's not even say goodbye. And she said, no, let's not. And we left the party. We were both, <laughs> for complicated reasons, we were both very uh, uh, wanted out of there badly. But that's the kind of connection we had. I could at a party, I could walk across the room and say, let's not even say goodbye. And that would be exactly what she was thinking. But the thing about that scene is that this was before Uber and off you went, uh, walking sort of just down the street back to the airport <laughs> without a, a thought to, uh, you know, your fancy attire. And that's how badly you all wanted to leave the same place, both of you at the same time, having the same thought. And, and out you went. It's such a, it is such an important scene in the, in the book. It's not a, just a sort of a casual thing that occurred. Right. Yeah, we ended up walking down Mockingbird Lane in Dallas, for those of you who know Dallas, and um, lo and behold, a cab came. And uh, that never happens in Dallas. You don't hail a cab in Dallas, particularly now, I guess, but certainly not then. And so <laughs> we hailed, hailed the cab, and the cab driver couldn't believe it, that here were two people out walking, walking. And uh, first of all, that's unbelievable. And then uh, needing a cab besides, because they were going to the airport, which was miles away. And uh, we had kind of fun because we could tell that he uh, was dying to know what is the story behind this. And we just didn't uh, let on at all. <laughs> so Paris was your thing. These were experiences in Paris, you went several, six, some six times with Tracy and then several times um, by yourself after she passed away. These were experiences, though, that you shared with her. Some were rather ordinary, as happens sometimes when we travel and we have to take care of details and we're out of our element. Uh, but most were extraordinary, or you, you write them as, as if they were extraordinary. Um, why did you start going to Paris in the in the first place? How did how yeah, was that? that that's uh, we like travel, but we're not, but we weren't uh, obsessive travelers. Let's say that, and particularly after there were children around, it it uh, to travel far and wide, just the two of you is is difficult then. But we had uh, neither of us had been to Europe, uh, not, not, not even, not to Paris, but not to Europe at all. And, uh, would, and we had the opportunity to do that. We had, at the same time, we had uh, uh, great, uh, I wouldn't say fantasies, but we had great expectations 
that centered uh, around Paris. There, Paris always had a, um, a gleaming attraction for us. And so when the opportunity did arise to go, we went and uh, our, our expectations were uh, exceeded. We found uh, the, the beauty and the culture and the history, all of these things that we had read about and dreamed of uh, actually were there. And that I think we were seduced uh, almost from the very first moment. And uh, you're right that it, we, we went six times together and then I've been a lot since. And yes, uh, there, are, there can be difficulties uh, traveling and uh, in, a, in a different culture and, and a different place and a different language and so on. Uh, but uh, these never bothered us really. It was, part of, it was part of the experience, part of the adventure. And we always felt that uh, it was, uh, that we were the ones that weren't uh, it was up. It was up to us to get along with Paris. It wasn't up to Paris to get along with, uh, with us. <laughs> and that was um, uh, one of the uh, one of the big realizations was that that Par Paris is not uh, challenging or off putting. We never had any problem like that. Uh, but Paris doesn't care whether you're there or not. And you just have to know that that's it and then uh and then go from there we often we often our inexperience and our provincialism uh i wouldn't say often but it did show up from time to time and i talk uh, um, in the book about a visit we made to the chateau chantilly and we got directions and we had we walked across a field. It didn't seem quite right, but we could see the chateau uh, up ahead of us, and we were exclaiming, "Oh, it's so beautiful!" and so on. And we got there, and there wasn't a grand door. There was just a sort of door. It seemed odd, and we even knocked on the door, and there was no answer. And so, summoning courage, I cracked open the door, and we were at the stables. It wasn't the it wasn't the chateau at all. So, but we were so inexperienced that to us the stables had this, you know, gleaming. It was like Oz or something. <laughs> we walked around the stables, and there was the chateau itself. And in fact, it was uh, imposing and beautiful and magnificent, and did have a huge doorway and and so on. Uh, we we really felt like rubes. <laughs> But the level of detail is you must be a meticulous note taker. I, I, you you were a longtime editor at Texas Monthly and um, and you've authored books. And, but I just feel like the level of detail, I mean, this is also a pian to Paris. And I feel like this book, if you've never been there or if you've been there a hundred times, um, in, in either case, this is a book that is almost uh, instructive. I mean, the level of detail about places and restaurants and um, the language even and, uh, and some of the things to expect about 
uh, customs. It's really uh, just the level of detail is something that I've never been there. I, it's just something that I that I really appreciate about this book. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, the uh, I had we had taken photographs and Tracy had kept a journal. So when I was going back, um, you know, reconstructing these trips, I, I did have um, sort of source material as it were. Mm -hmm. And then the same thing for my trips uh, after her death that, that I took alone. And in those, on those, during those trips, uh, I fell into the habit, of, I don't know, fell, I loved doing it. I, I developed the habit. I would take long walks uh, across Paris uh, with, without any goal, just wandering from street to street. And I had a, a camera and I would take photographs. And then uh, back home in the evening, I'd write long letters and put the photograph on the computer and you put the photographs in the letters mm -hmm. and I would send them to my family and to friends. And of course I kept copies. So I had really pretty extensive, um, th these letters formed a pretty extensive kind of journal of my, of my time in Paris. So I, um, I had aids to my memory, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, they were invaluable. When your wife died, you spent a lot of time at home at first watching DVDs about magic. I was really struck by the the two different ways of uh, experiencing that loss when you were home in Texas versus this obsessive walking uh, when you were in Paris. But you got to be quite good at doing magic tricks and I have to tell you that I found that to be um, heartrending to read that. <laughs> On the one hand, I mean, you were occupying your mind and learning something new, and that's a very good thing. But on the other hand, you were occupying your mind and sort of moving away from your aloneness. I kept thinking about it as a metaphor. And I heard you say when we first started talking that Tracy was magical. And I, it, it put me in the mind of this idea of Joan Didion's memoir about the death of her husband and her daughter's illness, the idea of magical thinking. Um, but the, just that idea of magic, um, your, you, this, this hobby or this interest that you have that runs through the book in a, mm -hmm. in a way is, is uh, so metaphorical to me too and, and and it seems like still part of that link to to Tracy um, you had some very powerful experiences again you would feel her presence or you would see her in fact in Texas and in Paris there were these really uncanny moments that you that you had um, so I was wondering about that too what do you think that was about right. Uh, well, they're, uh, yes, they're related, but in a way they're, they're, they're two different things. I mean, the, the magic in the sense of magic tricks, um, Tracy and I would always for ever, for years and years, it was the ritual 
we would have a drink and listen to music and talk, just the two of us. And children were off in their rooms and so on. That was our time together. And then we would have dinner uh, with the family. And uh, suddenly, I w- and suddenly I was without that. And the, the DVDs, these are, they're done by professional entertainers. They uh, are gener- they're, they're happy on the whole, on the whole, they're entertaining and you're learning a skill. And in a way it's, they're removing the veil. They're exposing the mystery mm-hmm. and uh, that felt good. Uh, then I was myself, I was surprised when in Paris, when I would see her in Paris, the, the uh, first time I was, that I went there for a long, long period of time was in 2014, uh, three years after her death. And I uh, had a visitation from her one night. Uh, and um, that, that was very powerful and unexpected by me. And then uh, in walking around Paris, uh, I would often think that I had seen her. I, w- I would see something out of the corner of my eye and I would think that it was her or classic uh, coming up out of the metro because you're in the dark <clears throat> and you can see the light uh, up above at the top of the staircase and in that, in that um not line, but the, as the dark fades into light, I would often think I saw that Tracy was there, right there, where the the darkness was ending and the light was beginning. And only for a, you know for a very brief moment, because then your your rationale takes over, or maybe you see better, whatever, and you know without even consciously thinking that it, that it can't be her. But in that first moment that's not the thought that you have or at least not the thought that i had it it was and it wasn't that oh that couldn't be her it, it was oh that is her and then oh well no it's not and it it, it it i was surprised myself at those things happening i've read uh a couple of articles <clears throat> by uh psychologists and so on and it's not unusual when, um, for if a if a wife has lost her husband or a husband has lost his wife, um, it, it's not unusual for these uh, sightings, let's say, to occur. And um, I only found that out later after I had, while I found it while I was writing the book, I was just kind of curious about it. Uh, but uh, they were. Uh, they were comforting. They weren't, um, you might think that these reminders would be uh, difficult and, and make make you sad, but quite the opposite. It was reassuring and, and made me think I was in the right place. Hmm. Um, so. Well, Tracy said after her last visit to Paris, um, I am filled with Paris. I am satisfied. I can put my arms around it. Um, 
so these many trips over time, these many experiences helped her reach that point of fullness and, and satisfaction with really knowing um, Paris and all these beautiful anecdotes that you share about your time together. But another thing I admire about you that you share in the book is all the times that you went back. You were mm -hmm. still feeling this terrible loss. And you write again that grief was, quote, a horrible, ghastly panic that could rise in a single moment and without warning from somewhere in the depths of me. But you found a sort of peace in the churches in Paris and even went to Mass. Uh, you, you found your own way back to Paris without her, though I felt while I was reading the book that she was ever-present, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing I totally admire is your dedication to learning all you can about France, the French language, and how you became a student again through this program at the Sorbonne. I feel mm -hmm. like, by the way, I feel like there's this whole other book there with this ensemble of these interesting people <laughs> that took these classes <laughs> with you. I was very interested in that too. Uh, some yeah. for very practical reasons, of course, uh, some of them. Um, but I just so admire that you did that, that you returned and you, it was Paris without her. And she was mm -hmm. ever present, but it was also, it seemed like um, you were not yet At, at that point of fullness and satisfaction, there was still, you were still on a bit of a search. Right. Yes. And I, when I went back to Paris, uh, I purposely stayed in uh, areas where we had not stayed. And not, not because I, I wasn't, what am I trying to say? I wasn't trying to avoid where we had stayed. I just wanted to find a different Paris, find a new Paris, find a Paris uh, that, w that we hadn't seen. And, and that, was, I, I, that, that was completely possible and I, and I did find it. And then as I was there more and more, I, I could easily go back and enjoyed going back to uh, seeing things we had seen together and going to places we had gone together but they were in the context of my own what I was seeing on my own too um, and uh, yes going to the school was uh, uh, was really uh, first of all it was very beneficial I learned a lot of French and uh, the um, uh, I really enjoyed it I was I'm I don't know if I was the oldest student. My my guess is that I was, and most of the students were in their early twenties, um, either in college still or just just out of college. And um, so I, you know, I was uh, kind of an odd, not kind of, I was an odd duck in that school. And uh, at first, and what I did was I just studied French. I worked hard on my French and it became obvious that I wasn't, that was what I was there for. And um, so the students then relaxed about uh, around me. I was a, a different kind of student, but a student and like they were. And so I made good friends 
and uh, they were from around the world and uh, all around the world. And that was really, it was a new society for me. And uh, with, uh, uh, you know, I had classes, I had homework, I had, um, you know, we would go for wine after class, that kind of thing. So I had a social life of mm -hmm. sorts. Um, it, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience all around. I know I'm going to mispronounce the the word, but I wanted to ask you about the Santone collection, the Santone. Santone, yeah. It was so special to your wife. And this was something um, I was completely ignorant about. I didn't, and I've since looked it up. And um, But I wonder if you can talk about that. You found such an interesting connection between the, the this collection of figurines um, uh, in France, but also connected it to Tracy's childhood. And it was just right. such a lovely part of the book that there was this connective tissue between, again, between uh, Tracy in Texas and, and Tracy in Paris. Right. They, the Santones are small. They're, uh, they're about two, two to three inches tall. Uh, and they're um, figures from rural life in Provence. And so you have a farmer and a baker and a, a sheep herder, uh, a, a, a wife, etc., cetera, a, pre, a priest, on and on. And they, were, they came about after the revolution because there was a tradition in, in Provence of living creches uh, around the holiday time. And this was suppressed during the revolution. So they created creches the, 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 where with just the local people in their uh, everyday clothes. And so that could not be suppressed. It wasn't, didn't, wasn't overtly religious. And they, the workshop started making these uh, small plaster figures that are painted. And then uh, you can make a crash and uh, a whole village out of these um, figurines. And Tracy somehow found, I don't know how she learned about them, but, but she did. And she became uh, rather an expert about them. And she gave lectures on Santones, in fact, and she uh, built quite a collection and, and would make a Santone village uh, at Christmas time every year and so on. And I, it, I hadn't thought about it that much. Uh, I mean, I liked them and so on, but, but what was this appeal was a question that hadn't formulated until I was writing the book. And I, and I began to wonder, well, what was it? that uh, that was so strongly that, that they appealed to her. why was it that they appealed to her so strongly and I surmise in the book that it was in a way a recreation of her uh, life growing up because she grew up in Amarillo and uh, the Amarillo has its stock characters it, it was a small town it still is but it was really a small town then and um, so she knew the lawyer, the judge, the mechanic, the this, the that. And if you would make figures of those, you, you almost couldn't help but make it satirical, mm -hmm. which isn't what, how she felt or what she would have wanted. And so my, 
my speculation is that these figures from a small village in a different part of the world and in France were parallel in some way or, or emotionally connected to the characters that she knew in her village uh, growing up. Hmm. So, Well, th they emerge in, in a couple of ways that I won't spoil for the listeners who, who will read your book, but it, it, in very poignant ways uh, later in the book as well. It's just such, a, such an interesting part of the book, the way that these figures emerge. I enjoyed yeah, I enjoyed the chapters about Celeste for many reasons, including they show us how we still have living to do even as we swim through our grief. And mm -hmm. I don't want to give too much away, but those stories and those scenes show us that this is still Tracy's story and that this is still Gregory Curtis's story. It is this homage to Tracy, her gorgeous and emotional and real, this, this sort of connection, but it's also about, it is also a book about how we survive. It very much becomes your story. Paris without her mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. for Tracy, but this is really Gregory's story that Paris is the world and it is now without her except for the ways mm -hmm. that you can recall her powerful and profound presence for us in the retelling but for me this this is really a book about you um yes I think that's I think that's true uh and um it's uh I felt I didn't uh, I didn't write it with an idea of self-revelation uh, particularly and and I'm not sure I mean there are revelations such as they are but I, I I don't really see it that way as just I to tell I, I see it as a narrative and it's both an external narrative of, you know I went here I did this we saw that, et cetera. But it's an interior narrative too, from um, the, that, um, well, I, I, all the time I was in Paris with Tracy, it was the two of us. We were, we were, we were there together and experienced everything together. I think all the time we were in Paris, we were, we might have, we went to a language school one for a couple of weeks and we might have been in a different class. And so therefore in different, oh, and she took a cooking class that I didn't take. But except for an hour or so here or there, we were never apart. And so everything about it happened was happening to us both and we could compare and contrast and see the other uh the the uh reaction of the other and and gauge our reaction and so on uh but then when i started going by myself then it was only me it was only it was all my uh it, it was my interior journey and I didn't know 
where, why, you know, I had no goal exactly, but I wanted to move along somehow in, in my life. And those trips, uh, those trips really, really helped me do it. Um, and I, I sometimes felt, well, Tracy and I had felt that we were uh, in a way different people when we were in Paris. And in fact, I had a hat and she had a coat and uh, we called them our disguises. <laughs> and we wore them in Paris and never wore them in Austin or anywhere else, or just, just in Paris. And somehow that was the only place they were right. And as I say, they were our disguises. So we, we were us, but we were not us. We were somebody else who would wear this hat and the woman who would wear that red coat, as it turns out. Speaking a different language, having to do it in the routines of the day, buying food, um, it just puts you in a different place, or at least, at least it did me. And it gave me, added to the feeling that, you know, I'm one person at home and now here I am. Mm -hmm. I'm not in a disguise now, but I'm different. Yeah. Do you think you'll go back to Paris once we're on the other side of this pandemic? Yeah, well, I certainly hope so. And um, yeah, but I had, uh, <clears throat> I have some friends and we have met uh, in Paris for New Year's Eve uh, several times. And that's always been a wonderful experience. And we didn't get to do it this last New Year's Eve for COVID reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm hoping this coming New Year's Eve to that it'll be you know, that'll be behind us to the degree that it'll be fun to go to Paris again. Gregory Curtis, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Gregory Curtis was editor at Texas Monthly from 1981 to 2000. He's written for the New York Times, New York Times Magazine, Rolling Stone, Fortune, and Time. He's the author of The Cave Painters and Disarmed, the story of Venus de Milo. His latest book is Paris Without Her. This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Kathleen Creedon is our digital producer. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Yvette Benavides. <laughs>